Hello, I'm Jesse Walls from Eagle Hawk Presbyterian Church. We're a church seeking to make disciple-making disciples of Jesus. Thank you to Life FM for continuing to host us. Today, as we look to God's Word, our reading is Hebrews 10, verses 11 to 22. So you can begin looking that up now. This sermon was recorded live at Eagle Hawk Presbyterian Church, and the preacher is Jordan O'Hara. After reading the passage, we'll hear the children's talk. So if you have children, make sure they're listening. And then we'll go to the sermon. So let's read Hebrews 10, 11 to 22. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us, for after saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them, after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And now it's over to the children's talk. Good to meet you all. My name is Jordan. Thanks for being here. Okay. Now, I don't know about you guys, but every now and then, I like to go on a walk. Jesse and I, we sometimes think we need to get some exercise, and so we go on a walk in our neighborhood. And one of the things we often see as we're walking around is fruit trees. We see fruit trees. Uh, we, we love seeing fruit trees because we kind of want to see if we can grab a lemon and maybe bring it home. Um, we see these trees. Do, do any of you grow fruit trees in your backyards? Yeah, you grow a fruit tree? What kinds of fruit trees do you grow? Lemons? Yeah, lemons are good ones. Yep. Yep. Sure, all kinds of fruit trees, aren't there? Yeah, which ones do you grow? Lemons, yep. Yep. Strawberries, beautiful. Yeah. It's, it's great to have fruit trees. Um, you get to eat the fruit. Now, here is a picture of a fruit tree. Now, I wonder if you can tell me, is this tree alive? <laughs> it's a picture. Yeah, let's imagine it's a real tree. Yeah, is this tree alive? What do we think? Is this tree alive? Yes. How can you tell it's alive? How can you tell this tree is alive? Yeah. It's not withered, it's green. Yeah, what else tells you that this tree is alive? Yep. It, it has apples. It's got apples, it's got fruits. Yeah, you can tell that this tree is alive because it's bearing fruits. It's got green leaves, all the signs of life are there. Great. Now, here's a picture of another fruit tree. Now, what's going on with this tree? Is this tree alive? Why can you tell this tree is not alive? It there's, there's no roots, there's no fruit, there's no anything. It's just a dead piece of wood. Yeah, you can tell whether a tree is alive 
by seeing if it's got the signs of life, seeing if it's bearing any fruit. Now, another question. So here's our fruit tree again. If you have a healthy apple tree and you take one of the apples off the tree, this, let's say you take all the apples off the tree, what happens to that tree? Is that tree going to be okay? What do you think? Yeah? Why is the tree going to be okay, do you think? Yeah? Because it still has its green leaves. Yeah, there's still life in the tree, isn't there? Yeah, when you take the fruit off, the tree doesn't suddenly fall over and die. The tree is still alive. Yeah. So, the fruit shows you that the tree is alive. But, the fruit is not what makes the tree alive, is it? The fruit shows you that the tree is alive. So, can you tell me, what does give life to a tree? What does make a tree come to life? Water, oxygen, yeah, what else? Mm-hmm. Soil, it needs to be planted in good soil, yeah. The sun, yes, water, sunshine, soil, yeah. And these things need to get into the roots, don't they? They give the roots good nutrients. And when there's life in the roots, you see fruits. Where's that fruit? There we are. First comes the roots, then comes the fruits. First comes the roots, then comes the fruits. Now, Jesus taught us that we are a little bit like trees, but there's a problem. Jesus also taught us that we're a bit more like the dead trees than like the fruit trees. We're a bit more like the dead trees. Because of our sin, Because of all the ways that we turn our backs to God, we were like dead trees, planted in dead, dry soil, with no water and no sunshine, instead of healthy roots, with uh, water and sun, our roots were dead. And so we weren't able to grow any fruits. Fruits, kind of like living God's way, is a fruit that we might see if we're alive. Putting God first is a fruit that we might see if we're alive. But dead trees can't grow these fruits. They're dead. Their roots are dead. So, that's the problem. But hey, there's good news. There's good news. There is one way for a dead tree to come to life and to produce good fruit. Even though we don't deserve it, even though we weren't producing fruit, God sent his son, Jesus, to take away our sin and to make us alive. So when we put our trust in Jesus, it's kind of like he takes us as a dead tree and he comes and plants us in good soil and he waters us and he makes it so we have sunshine, he makes it so it all gets into our roots and gives us nutrients and he brings us to life. Jesus gives our roots the life and the nutrients that we need to be alive and to have fruit. And so he promises to give eternal life to anyone who puts their trust in him. And so, as I said, first comes the roots, then comes the fruits. After Jesus has made us alive, then we bear fruit. Now, I'm not very good at growing fruit on my arms. I've never grown an apple before uh, by watering myself. Um, So, we're not talking about literal fruits like apples, are we? Um, What what kinds of fruits do you think we might expect to see if Jesus has made us alive? What kinds of fruits might we see? Yeah. 
Third fourth. Um, the fruit of the spirit. Yeah, the fruits of the spirit, like love and, and patience. Yeah. Yep. Beautiful. Well remembered. Good job. Yeah. Yeah, so we might be sharing the gospel with others. Absolutely. Yeah. When we're alive, when the roots are healthy, then the fruits will, will follow. So first comes the roots, then comes the fruits. So let's all make sure that we're trusting in Jesus who makes us alive, who, who gives us everything we need. And if you're trusting in Jesus, then let's seek to bear good fruit. Let's seek to do the patience, joy, love, peace, forbearance, kindness, and gentleness. Let's seek to live God's way, to thank him for making us alive. Amen. Alrighty. It's really great to be with you, everyone. Thank you for having me and my wife along. Um, why don't I pray as we come to God's word? We'll be spending most of our time in, in Hebrews 11 to begin with, um, but we'll also uh, dip into Philippians a little bit later. So please pray with me as we start in Hebrews chapter 11. Our gracious Father, we thank you for your great love. We thank you for revealing yourself to us in your word. And we thank you, Lord, that as your people, you do not uh, just leave us as we are, but that you uh, enter into a living relationship with us and that you call us to know you and serve you and to be like you. Father, please illuminate our, our minds this morning uh, to hear your glorious truths in this passage. Help us, Lord, to, to listen and to serve you in response. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When I was 15 years old, um, I applied for my very first job at Woolworths. And I certainly was not the ideal Woolies poster boy. What have I done with my... Here we are. I, I was not the ideal Woolies poster boy. I had long and messy black hair. I went through a phase, I dyed it black, grew it out. Um, I didn't look after my beard properly. I, I hadn't shaved up until I was about 16, so I had this horrible beard. Um, I was really awkward. I was a social recluse, so I, I didn't know how to talk to people, which was really bad for a Woolies employee. Um, I had zero experience in customer service. There was very little, really, that I was bringing to the table. There was very little that I could offer Woolworths. But they gave me the job. They were gracious with me. They thought they'd take a chance with me. Um, but, but of course, part of getting this position was that I was agreeing to being trained up. I was agreeing to being um, someone who would follow a code of conduct. I was representing Woolworths now, and so I'd have to be cleaned up a bit. The hair was either going to be, it either needed to be chopped off or tied up. I, I went for tied up. Um, I grabbed an elastic band from the cutlery drawer and, and tied it up. It was, it was pretty bad, but that, that did the job. I was a little bit more presentable. Um, and of course, as my employees, they weren't just going to kind of leave me there to figure everything out on my own, um, to just kind of do what, what seemed best to me. No, they trained me. I had someone who guided me, who walked alongside me as I learnt the job. And I was still a fairly average employee. I wasn't great, but I learned over time. I got better over time. And in some ways, this is a picture of what we're looking at today. Um, we're going to be unpacking this word, this doctrine called sanctification. Um, sanctification, it comes from the Latin word for holy. Holy in Latin is sanctus. Sanctification is the process of becoming holy. 
the process by which a person moves from being in sin to being set apart from sin. Uh, The process by which a person moves from being unlike God to being more like God, to reflecting his character. And so just as I had to be cleaned up and trained up to represent Woolworths, when God sanctifies us, he cleans us up, he trains us and shapes us to represent him, to serve him. And I'd like to take a moment here just to emphasize how deeply important it is that we understand sanctification rightly. Um, So for instance, if you've ever wondered what God's will for your life is, then then this sermon is for you. If you've ever suffered and, and found yourself asking, God, why would you do this to me? Then this sermon is for you. If you're struggling with sin, as we all do, if you're frustrated by your lack of progress in dealing with your sin, if you've ever been tempted to to give up or doubt your salvation because of your sin, because it's just too hard, then this sermon is for you. Sanctification, when we understand it rightly, is really good news. It's liberating. It's good. And so my prayer this morning is that what God's word says about our sanctification would liberate us would give us clarity and assurance about what God is doing in our lives. But to understand why sanctification is good or necessary, we we first need to understand the problem that sanctification is addressing. And the problem is summed up in Hebrews 12, 14. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Without holiness, no one will will see the Lord. Now that sounds like bad news. If we're not holy, we're not saved. How can we think rightly about that statement? How do we think rightly about that so that we don't despair because we're sinners, we're not holy, and so that we don't start boasting because we think, oh yeah, I am holy, I've got it under control. How do we think rightly about the need for holiness without falling into despair or falling into self-righteousness? Well, this morning, uh, what we're going to see is that God himself fully addresses our need for holiness. He addresses our need for holiness, and he does it by sanctifying us in three main stages. First, we have been sanctified in the past. Secondly, we are being sanctified in the present. And thirdly, we will be sanctified in the future. God sanctifies us in the past, in the present, and in the future. So let's begin uh, at the beginning. With what God has done in the past, we have been sanctified. We have been made holy. So come with me first to Hebrews chapter 10. And we'll begin reading from verse 11. Again and again, the priest offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest, which is Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, and since that time he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. And this is the key verse. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. 
In this passage, the author is comparing the sacrifice of Jesus to the sacrifices that were offered in the Jewish temple. Uh, These temple sacrifices, uh, as you may know, they were offered in the temple as substitutes for the sinner. Um, Instead of sinners paying the price for their own sin, their sin was laid on a sacrifice. And that sacrifice was uh, that, that sacrifice paid for their sin in their place as their substitute. But the problem, as we see in verse 11 of our passage, is these temple sacrifices could never truly take away a person's sin. Um, for, for two reasons, really. Because firstly, an animal could never fully pay the price for sinning against an infinite holy God. An animal can't pay the price um, but, but secondly, the reason an animal's not sufficient is that we keep on sinning. We keep on sinning every day, every moment in our actions, our words, our thoughts, our, our desires, our hearts are sinful. These sacrifices weren't sufficient because we keep on sinning. So even if, like in verse 11, we offer sacrifices day after day, you know, in our culture, we don't really offer sacrifices so much as try to show all of our good deeds to God. You know, God, see what I've done. Look at my track record. We, we offer these things to God, trying to kind of make up for our sin and balance out the, the, the weight of our sin. But, but it doesn't work. It doesn't address the real problem. It's like um, if you've ever studied Shakespeare, I remember back in school going through Macbeth. Um, Lady Macbeth says, out spot. You know, she's, she's just conspired to kill the king and she's, um, she's struggling with the guilt of having just killed the king and she's trying to remove her guilt by scrubbing her hands. And of course it doesn't work. She, she's burdened by her guilt. We can't remove our own guilt. We can't remove our own sin. It's like trying to scrub off guilt. It doesn't work. We're stained with sin, not just externally, but internally. Our hearts are sinful. And if you've got a heart disease... If your heart is sick, then Panadol and a back rub are not going to cut it. We need a permanent solution that addresses our heart disease, our sin. And nothing that we offer to God, nothing we do for him, will work. And so what do we need? We need God himself to take away our sin. We need God himself to do it for us. And so we need Jesus And the author writes in in verse 1 of Hebrews 11 that the whole sacrificial system was a shadow. It was a pointer pointing us to the one true sacrifice who would take away our sin perfectly and permanently. And so in verse 14, we see that true sacrifice. By one sacrifice, he has made us perfect forever. And we see it in in verse 10 as well. Uh, We have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Jesus, who alone is truly holy, Jesus, who alone lived a perfect and sinless life, God himself in the flesh took the filthy stains of our sin and our guilt upon himself. And, And he didn't just take our past sins, he took all of our sin past, present, future, Jesus laid down his life to sanctify us, to make us perfect and clean and holy in God's sight forever. And therefore, what Jesus did for us on the cross 
never needs to be repeated and it never needs to be added to. So notice in verse 12, what what did Jesus do after he paid for our sin? What did he do after he took our sin? He sat down. He sat down at the right hand of God. His work had been finished. He's reigning in glory. Jesus makes us perfect forever. And so the things we offer to God can't take away our sin. They can't make us holy, but Jesus Christ has taken away our sin. He has made us holy. And so if you're trusting in Jesus as your saviour, as your Lord, then you have been sanctified. And and that's so important to grasp as we continue through this sermon this morning. Um, It's so important to grasp that we have been sanctified in Christ if we trust him. That we're sanctified not because of our own holiness. We're sanctified because the Holy One took our place. Which means that when God sees you now, when God looks at you, what does he see? He doesn't see you in all of your sin. He doesn't see you covered in the filthy stains of sin. How does he see you? He sees you the way he sees his son. He sees you the way he sees Jesus, as holy, as sinless, because your sin has been taken away and you are united to Christ. This is why, as you read the letters of the New Testament, you'll notice that one of the most common ways that Christians are described is saints. It's one of the most commonly used words for Christians in the New Testament, saints. And saint literally means holy one. It comes from the same word as as sanctification. To be a saint is to be holy. Saints, they're not just a special class of Christian who are kind of extra holy. Every Christian is a saint. Every Christian has been made holy. And so if you're here today and you're anxious about your standing before God, remember that the question is not, are you holy enough? Because none of us are. The question is, has Jesus made you holy? Has Jesus made you holy? Has he taken away your sin? And are you trusting in him to do that? And if you are trusting in Jesus, but as you look at your life and as you look at the sin that remains and you start doubting whether or not God could ever truly love you or welcome you, then remember, don't don't only look at yourself. Don't only look at your sin. Look to the cross. Because that's where your sin is now. Look to the cross and look at it again and again. Your sin was nailed to the cross through the hands and the feet of Christ. And so that's why you can be confident that you're holy if you're trusting in Jesus. We can have confidence, as it says in verse 22, we can draw near to God with confidence and assurance because by one sacrifice, Jesus has made us perfect forever. He's made us holy. So that's, that's the first point. Jesus has sanctified us. And we need to know that and cling to that. Secondly, we are being sanctified in the present. So we've been made holy, but God's sanctifying work in us doesn't stop there. It, it keeps going. We've been made holy, but it, it, this holiness process continues. And so in uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, Paul writes this. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, 
For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. God works in us. Uh, When he saves us, he doesn't just kind of change our title to saint and and then leave us there. Um, God works in us such that in both our willing and our acting, in both our desires and our actions, we are increasingly conformed to him. We're increasingly conformed to Christ, to his purposes, to his desires, to his holiness. Um, A little while ago, I watched this video. Um, These videos really get to me. You may have seen them. Um, There was a dog that had been abandoned. Someone had just left it uh, to to die. Um, And and some people found this dog as she was, kind of covered in dirt, sick and starving. Um, And and they took her home um, to to try and um, take care of her. And, 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 you know, when they got home, they, they didn't just put the dog down on the carpet and, and say, cool, run free, do whatever you want. Um, no, they, they didn't just leave the dog there to kind of go on living as though it was a stray. They, they took the dog in and they, and they cared for her. They nursed her back to health. They taught her how to live in a home. They gave her a wash. And that, that's just like what God does for us. He doesn't just leave us in our muck. He doesn't leave us to go on living the way we used to live in all of our filth. He cleans us up. He nurses us back to health. He trains us for life in his kingdom. And, you know, we, we, we do fall back into old ways. We do fall short. Um, but over time and with a lot of patience, God works in us by his spirit. He makes us holy, not only in our status before him in Christ, but increasingly, bit by bit, in our actual character as well, in our actions, in our thoughts, so that we can represent Jesus and reflect him to our world. That's what God is doing in us. And, and you know, sometimes the change is hard to see. If you've ever tried to work out to get fit, you'll know that if you go to the gym and then come home and look in the mirror, it's always really disappointing because you really just can't see any difference. Um, but if you persevere for a long period of time, then you will notice that something has changed. Um, Over time, you see the difference that becomes visible. So if you're a Christian, this is what God is doing in your life at the moment. He is sanctifying you. This is his trajectory for your life. And so in, in 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul writes this. This is the will of God, your sanctification. If you've ever wondered what God wants you to do, what his will for your life is, then, then this is it. God wants you to be holy. He wants you to be and to serve and to love like Jesus does. And your life with all of its ups and its downs is the arena in which God is bringing that about. He's bringing that about by his spirit. And and so in our lives, when our lives do take a turn, when our lives don't go as planned, when we suffer, or when the things that we love are taken from us, And we begin wondering, God, why? Why is this happening to me? Why are you putting me through this? The answer, at least in part, is that God is sanctifying you. Christians in the first century wrestled with these questions as well. God, why? Why is this happening? And so in Hebrews chapter 12, uh, the author encourages his, um, his Christian readers by describing their experience of suffering 
in terms of a parent lovingly disciplining their children. And so in chapter 12, verse 6, we read, The Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. You know, no one, no one likes being disciplined. It's pretty painful. Um, I was often disciplined as a kid. I was not the easiest kid to raise. Um, no one likes being disciplined. But, but as I'm sure every parent here knows, is that the opposite of discipline is not kindness. The opposite of discipline is neglect. Um, to discipline a child is a loving thing. Because without discipline, kids don't learn. They don't grow. They end up endangering themselves and, and others. And so that, that's also true of us as God's children. God loves us, and so we ought to expect that because we continue to struggle with sin, God will discipline us. God will do what is necessary for us to grow, to train us. Um, there's a, a key distinction, though. God doesn't punish us for our sin. God does not punish us for our sin. Why? Because our punishment was taken by Jesus. God doesn't punish us for our sin. He disciplines us. There's a key distinction there. God leads us through times of hardship for our good, to teach us and grow us and sanctify us. And so Hebrews 12.10 says, God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share his holiness. God is shaping us into people who love Jesus and who are like Jesus. Um, some of us might be familiar with uh, this woman from America, Johnny Erickson Tata. Uh, when she was 17, uh, she went out for a swim, just casually having some fun, and she dived into the water, but she badly misjudged how deep the water was. And she has spent every day since that moment as a quadriplegic. No feeling in her arm or her legs. And, and Johnny, reflecting on, on that experience as a Christian woman many years later, she says this, Here I sit, glad that I have been healed, not on the outside, but on the inside. Healed from my own self-centered wants and wishes. This paralysis is my greatest mercy. In Johnny's suffering, everything that she looked to for satisfaction, every idol in her life that competed with God for her affection was stripped away until nothing was left to cling to but Jesus. And only then was she able to see that, that none of the pleasures offered by a fully functioning body, none of the pleasures offered by sin or by anything else could ever compare with having Christ and living for him. It took a tragedy for Johnny to realize that. Now, not all of us will suffer as Johnny has. Um, and of course, God doesn't only sanctify us through suffering. Um, God, God can sanctify us in all kinds of ways. Um, but you can be sure that if you're trusting in Jesus, then in both the very best moments of your life and in the very worst moments of your life, God is working for your good. He's working to make you holy to make you more like Jesus. He is shaping you and reorienting you so that just like Johnny, you begin to see that Jesus is satisfying. 
far more so than anything else in this world. And so that sin becomes increasingly unsatisfying, unappealing, foreign. So so has God been doing that in your life? Has God been reorienting you and shaping you? When you examine your heart, what do you see? Do you see a growing love for Jesus? Do you see a desire to be like him and to know him more? Do you see a growing hatred for your sin? A growing discontent with those moments when you fail to resist? Have you been making progress in resisting temptation? Do you grieve when you fail? The really good news is that ultimately all of this is God's work. All of this is God's work in us. He sanctifies us. He makes us holy. Um, But notice... I mean, in Philippians 2, the knowledge that God works in us is not a reason to be passive about it. Um, Paul says, work out your salvation. Here we are. With fear and trembling. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Um, Yes, God works in us, but work out your salvation. It's active language. And so we really do need to actively pursue holiness. To actively throw off sin. God works in us, but our involvement is assumed. We will actively pursue holiness. To put things in place that lead us away from sin, that lead us towards Christ. And so, if you're you're struggling with a particular sin, then one thing we can do is ask someone to keep us accountable. Ask someone you can trust, someone you can be honest with, to, to check in on you to see how you're going, to to pray with you. And if you know someone who might be struggling with sin, then then why not offer to care for them in in that way yourself? Meet up with them, confess your sins with one another in in love and honesty. Pray for each other. Have a plan for dealing with temptation when it comes knocking. In in that moment when temptation comes and you've got that, that moment of decision, have a plan for that moment. Don't just drift into sin. Have a plan. You know, whether it's just turning off your devices, opening up your Bible, going for a walk, calling a friend, whatever it is that helps, have a plan. Because if we, if we don't have a plan, what we do is drift. We let the current of sin just take us with it. Have a plan for, for dealing with temptation. And of course, insofar as you, as you can, limit your access to the things that tempt you. Install filters on, on the devices at your home if, if that helps. Limit your access to the things that, that, help, that, that lead you to drift into sin. So we, we need to be active, to be pursuing holiness, making wise decisions. And of course, part of that is, if, if we want to cultivate a deeper love for Jesus and to, and to be more like him, we need to look at him, don't we? We need to be looking at Jesus. Making habits of being in God's word being with him every morning or every night or maybe both. And if you're struggling for time, you know, I, I often hear this, I, I struggle to read God's word because I'm struggling for time. And, and I get that, we all do struggle for time. But God's word is, is worth waking up earlier for. It's worth staying up later for. Um, if you're struggling for time, maybe when you wake up, instead of looking at your phone or whatever else it is that you do in the morning, getting a coffee, maybe commit to opening up your Bible before you do those things. 
Make God's word the, the primal, the, the main thing in your day. Don't let other things crowd out your time with Christ. Don't lose sight of him. If we're going to be cultivating a love for Christ, we have to be looking at him. And of course, because God is the one who sanctifies us, the one who works in us, we do need to pray to him, to ask him for help. God, make me holy. God, make me more like Christ. Help me to hate my sin. Do you pray that prayer? Do you ask God to work in you to be more like Jesus? And of course, that's a prayer we ought to pray for each other too. And Paul, in, in 1 Thessalonians 5, he says, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. He prayed for his churches, God, sanctify them. We can pray, ask God to help us in this process. We need God to help. In fact, we need him to be the one who's decisively in charge of it. So be active, put things in place, make wise decisions, but ultimately rely on God and not your strength. Rely on God, because he's the one who works in us. And of course, as we do that, as we struggle with sin, and as we rely on God, we can take heart. We can take heart because, firstly, God has already made us holy in Christ. He's made us perfect forever by taking our sin and nailing it to Christ. We can also take heart knowing that he's the one working in us. It's not, the burden's not ultimately on us. That should liberate us. And thirdly, finally, um, we, we can take heart knowing that this struggle with sin, this process of sanctification, will one day come to an end. It won't go on forever. We will be sanctified. We have been sanctified. We're being sanctified. And thirdly, we will be sanctified finally. So Paul in Philippians 1 verse 6 writes this. Sorry, I'm not very good at controlling the PowerPoint. Sorry about that. Paul in 1 Philippians, uh, Philippians 1 verse 6, he writes this. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He who began a good work in you, he will carry it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. You know, if you've ever built a house, you would know this from experience. People don't begin building houses just to have a house that's perpetually under construction. Now, how frustrating would that be? Is if you're looking forward to moving into this house, but it's just always being built and is never actually built. That would be so frustrating. It would be uh, depressing. We we build houses because we want eventually to have a, a finished house that we can live in, that we can move into. In the very same way, God is going to bring his work in us to completion. We won't be under construction forever. One day the work will be done. One day we really will be holy. The sin that clings to us, that the filthy stains that that weigh on us, they will be perfectly removed forever. The sin that dishonors God, the sin that hurts the people we love, One day that will be no more. When Jesus returns, the struggle will be over. And unlike building a house, which eventually needs to be renovated and and redone and you change ownership, uh, unlike building a house, God's work in us never needs to be renovated. 
It will never need to be redone. It will be finished forever. When Jesus returns, we really will be the way God sees us now. Holy and perfect, free from sin. The Apostle John writes this. When Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We will be like him. Do you long for that day? Do you long for that? When the thing we're we're longing for will become reality. So it's it's true, to, to come back to where we started, it's true that without holiness, no one will see the Lord. That's true. And it should confront us and it should wake us up to the seriousness of sin. It means that we really do need to examine ourselves and to throw off sin. But as we do that, let's, let's do it with a right understanding of sanctification. Let's do it with a right understanding so that we don't either despair because we're sinners or, or on the other hand, become self-righteous. Remember that the holiness God requires of us, he gives to us himself. God sanctifies us. It's good news. It's not a burden. It's good news. So if you are trusting in Jesus this morning, if if your sin has been laid on him, then God has sanctified you in Christ. He is sanctifying you now by his spirit. And he will finally sanctify you when Jesus returns. So don't despair. And don't try to overcome sin with your own strength. Rely on him. Ask your God to sanctify you. Ask him for help. And remember all the while that you have been made perfect. Don't don't forget that. You have been made perfect. And one day the struggle will come to an end when you see the Lord in his glory. Amen. Please pray with me. Our gracious Father, we come before you as people who, though we deserve judgment, though we are sinners, we we come before you, Lord, with joy. We come before you with gratitude. We come before you as people who have been made holy by no merit of our own. Father, we come before you as people who are so thankful for the Lord Jesus, people who desire to live for you. And though we struggle, Lord, we know that you are working in us by your spirit. We thank you, Lord, that in this battle we are not alone, that in our struggles you are faithful, and that one day this battle will come to an end. So, Father, help us in the meantime by your Spirit. Shape us to be more like Jesus. Conform us to his likeness. And, Lord, please encourage us with the the wonderful truth of the gospel that Jesus has taken our place, that in him we are holy forever, and that we will be more more wonderfully overjoyed than we can ever imagine when we see him face to face. Point us to that glorious hope, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm Jesse Walls from Eagle Hawk Presbyterian Church, and I pray you've been blessed as you've spent this time in God's Word. Next week, we'd love to have you join us in person for our service at 10am. I hope to see you there. And as always, if you'd like to make a comment on what you've heard today, you have a question, or you're looking for a church, then please get in contact with us. Our website is eaglehawkpc.org.au. You can also contact us through Facebook or Instagram. God bless you.